Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. Now, we've talked a lot about 5G networking lately and a lot of discussion around the network inside of 5G. But what's becoming clearer to me, at least, is that the 5G technology and the technology stack and the emergence of 5G networks is going to drive the market in certain directions. And we can start to read the tea leaves about what those directions are. And it's not just what happens inside the 5G tower at the RAN or in the back halls. It's also what does 5G create for last mile connectivity. In today's sponsored show, we're talking to Arcus Inc. about the purpose and the values of segment routing in 5G networking and a sort of a broad ranging discussion on the impact that it could have on the networking market and how the Arcus products, and particularly it's focused around its software suite and its use of white box products can give you new ways to approach this challenge. And remember, segment routing has been around for a while and it's designed to be software defined. That is, Controllers are used to calculate paths through the network. We don't rely on autonomous protocols inside the routers and switches. We actually use controllers to calculate paths through the network. And then we program the MPLS label tables in the paths or in the packets, and we optimize them for various traffic engineering purposes. So we actually carve the paths and program into the network. And that whole idea means that we've suddenly got a whole way of steering traffic We can start to manage for latency, bandwidth, redundancy, congestion avoidance. We can actually start to do a whole lot of new things that don't rely on, you know, BGP or as an API or relying on if I pull this lever, does the the wheels turn and then out the other side, do I get the desired effect? It's a much more direct way of thinking about networking, particularly when we start talking about SRV6 and combining that with SRMPLS. And I also want to point out that Arcus has been a longtime supporter of Packet Pushes, for which we are very grateful. And we've had many conversations with Kia Patel, Amarali Gandalu, who is joining us once again. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today. Let's get this, let's get this started before I blether on far too much. So segment routing is kind of a thing that we've been talking about for a number of years. We've seen some different things happening around it. Why is segment routing and SRV6 for transport networks? reaching to the edge? Because I think we're going to leave the core discussion behind today. We're going to focus about how does it come in at the edge of the network? Thank you, Greg and Drew, for this opportunity again. Um, it's 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 an uh, awesome time to again connect here. We are very excited uh, about today's topic. Um, what we're witnessing essentially is incredible transformation. Trends like, I mean, that you already highlighted, edge computing, 5G are being are underpinned by uh, explosive, unrelenting growth in media content, hyper-connected users, basically, and mobile traffic, of course. Basically, we are in an environment where the we are very hyper-distributed, the infrastructure mm. is hyper-distributed, yet hyper-connected. And so businesses, both providers and enterprises alike, are essentially uh, dealing with much, much higher expectations from their customers, whether that's for end-user experiences, new services, all the while making sure that this hyper-distribution doesn't lead to a, a hockey stick curve, cost curve. So these are important business imperatives that player providers, infrastructure players are dealing and contending with. Right. So what you're alluding to there is the idea that if I start to give customers more bandwidth, so if I we've seen this happen in other parts of the telco market where I've gone from a one meg DIA to a 10 meg DIA. And now all of a sudden I can buy a hundred meg commercial DSL service for one tenth the price of a DIA. 
And the challenge there is how does telcos make money, of course, but also if we continue to produce more bandwidth for customers, how do we make sure that it's programmable, available, workable, and all those types of bubbles? You know, how, how, is, that, is that the thrust here? Exactly. It's, it's, uh, you, you nailed it right there because all of those, in, in addition to the high speed and high perf- uh, bandwidth-centric aspects of infrastructure upgrades, now also um, the key other key variables that are have been added in are seamless end user experience which translates to ultra low latency lossless environments uh, consistency in jitter things that uh, will only re- require more and more of a software centric seamless experience end to end that have to operate at scale and so you you're right uh, yeah, it's it's kind of, well. Scale happens in multiple dimensions in five G. It happens in the sense that there's going to be more things connected to the network than ever before. So more endpoints, right? And it's not just people connected to the network, and the fact that people will have multiple devices. You know, once upon a time it was a computer on a modem. Now it's a home that'll have fifteen devices, and of those fifteen devices, ten of them will be some light switches or whatever. And thermal sensors, air conditioning controls or heating controls, things like that. There's one thing. But there's also a whole new emerging class of network users like factory monitoring, cars sending up analytics data. We're going to see devices in the public spaces sending telemetry back for remote monitoring. It's this idea that everything gets more connected. Now, that means we're going to see scale in multiple dimensions, more endpoints, endpoints that have to be secured. So segmentation becomes an issue in a sense. And then we also need to scale the bandwidth. And the problem with scaling bandwidth with more endpoints is we end up with congestion somewhere in the network. And that becomes, so is is that kind of where segment routing comes in? It gives me an answer to all of that or? Yeah, you Greg, you, you sort of posed with a couple of challenges here. If you look um, 10 years back um, where we, or rather 20 years back where we started building metro networks uh, with layer two, layer three VPNs, you were in the business of connecting enterprises, right? And, yeah. uh, and you were providing layer three, layer two VPNs, and the networks were designed that way. If you notice, fast forward 20 years, you each of the big service providers are, are CSPs have multiple networks that they have built to cater to different kinds of customers. You sort of now have a different kind of complexity with 5G where the bandwidth is unable to such a great extent that a lot of your fixed line data is moving towards mobile. And you have, like rightfully you said, more end-to-end mobile customers. You have more machine-to-machine connections over that, you know, be it a mobile or something else, laptop or or you have an iPad or something that is wireless. And now how do you start doing things like building a common network so that you can um, uh, save a lot of uh, costs uh, to run the network? How do you start to provide good quality of service on on top of it, right? Through network slicing. Well, and the thing here is that, that with quality of service, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I'm going to buffer the, do buffer management with you know, this packet that's got this marker. The, the, yeah. the idea of quality of service is I've got a congestion point in my network because this 5G node has suddenly turned up. Somebody's just turned up at a rock concert. 60,000 people have rocked onto this 5G pop. And all of a sudden that's created a congestion point inside my network. I need to route around that. 
Precisely what you're talking about is at a very high level an end user experience. And mm. how do you realize the end user experience either when you're doing a gaming app or whether you're doing a rock concert like you talked about mm. or you running congestion in the traffic and it's just a normal app and how do you sort of rework through that congestion or repath automatically such that that end user experience is met and you have now way to monetize that network so you're saying then the the solution here is segment routing because it allows me to program and pick my paths through the network based on current network conditions and just to zoom in a little bit there you know uh, the notion of slicing has uh, not been new uh, we've been doing it in form of uh, vrfs um, l2 bridging all sorts of things in past but they were all siloed architectures and now with this newer networks that you are trying to build how do you do it in a completely automated way software driven end to end to help you realize that end user experience that drew we just talked about yeah i i think there's a whole bunch of things here too because there's an angle to segment routing inside the 5g pop that I think I want to touch on before I expand, draw back out a little bit. One of the things that happens inside a 5G pop is that you actually have packets being steered around that network inside that 5G tower. I've got packets coming out. So as soon as the signal comes in, it gets converted, it gets digitized. And then I need to get it decoded and I get IP. I might need to send some of that traffic to an authorization server, to a security scanning server. I need to send it to a messaging server. I might need some sent off to... Bill checking applications. There's a whole bunch of hundreds of different applications that go on inside of a 5G tower. That's you know accounting all the packets. Are you a valid user on the network? Signal handoff and all those packets can't don't just can't just sit in a VLAN anymore. They have to be segmented, and that's one of the prime uses cases for segment routing in my mind. Is that viable? It is. It is. As you start to take that traffic back on IP, absolutely. That is that is one of the use cases. And 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 the other use case is you're gonna you as the bandwidth's being made available, it's always the case in history that it'll be consumed. It'll be consumed mm-hmm. by next generation applications, whether they are gaming or some mm-hmm. sort of uh, um, an interesting app. And how do you sort of provide again to your point and and good end user experience for those applications that we've been talking about, right? So you have a yeah. accounting and, and a control plane traffic as well as what we call as a data traffic uh, that would be an application-based. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. so I want to pull back now and say I'm an enterprise and I've got an MPLS network today that I'm managing and I'm doing, you know, LDP and I'm stitching together multiple telcos around the world and I'm using MPLS to build a network overlay over the top of all that. And I'm probably using some form of BGP and LDP to provide my traffic engineering. And I might even be using RSVPTE and crossing my fingers four days out of seven that it actually works, right? Is that too harsh? It is. <laughs> Please go on. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why we say that is because this is where actually um, some of the benefits of SR, particularly in context of V6, kicks in. If you look at the example you gave, yeah. that was an example that was very well designed for the core of the networks. Now imagine, Greg, for a second, you're yep. pushing those requirements to the edge where you're supporting maybe a network that has 30 million mobile users. Mm-hmm. How do you do bandwidth reservation over RSVP? What is the notion of network slicing you will bring into? 
Yeah, right? this is what I mean. Four days out of seven, you cross yeah, out fingers. Indeed. Right? <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with RSVP or BGP insofar as it goes, but it doesn't it doesn't solve the problems that we actually have, right? So, and if I'm a an enterprise building an MPLS network over the top of other people's networks, I've only got these 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 RSVP and BGP. They're really hard to do. Like configuring an RSVP and saying, "I this path has to have this capability," and then every device in the network has to honor those RSVP requests, right? And they have to hold state. And then you're dependent on the software in those devices to maintain that state. And if they fail, they have to the path gets lost and then they have to come back and then they have to rebuild the state. They have to renegotiate the RSVP reservations and exchange the costs. And then your network comes back together. Now that's all doable, but is it automatable? Is it up to the reliability standards that you want? So you're asking a BGP guy, so I'm somewhat conflicted out here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, while it is harsh, I, I, I will tell you that uh, yeah. that has an applicability. And the applicability is in the core of the network. And the applicability is in the networks where they have already been deployed for mm-hmm. uh, core and edge. But as you expand out, I think you will have to rethink some of those because you're in, in, the, in the context of 5G, your yeah. edge is going to explode. You know, the kind of RAN towers they're talking about deploying in 5G as compared to 4G is orders of magnitude more. You're looking at 10x or more. So mm-hmm. as you fan out at the edge, your excess and your aggregation layers are going to grow. And you may have to rethink, I am fairly certain, you will definitely have to rethink the strategy to say, what do we do at that point such that maybe in some cases you keep core as is and have a new technology at the edge? Or in some mm-hmm. cases, um, you completely redesign the core. Right. So right? this is where you're and, sort of using the concept of segment routing then to stitch together the optical and the IP core to the edge of the network. So you have a unified forwarding architecture because using segment routing means you're still using all the MPLS labels, which DWDM and your IP core probably uses today, but now you're replacing that with a controller that can program the network more immediately and more directly. That's right, right. So, um, uh, Greg, I want to... It is, it is a controller-driven um, architecture, and that does provide the scale and the ability for operations teams to, teams to manage that at scale. I want to just mm. highlight one thing, point that you brought up just a few minutes ago. Mm. You know, from a business and enterprise point of view, um, what we're seeing is um, a, an accelerated desire to move towards a simple, scalable, and a seamless infrastructure. Because as these operations teams are dealing with a lot more uh, compute at the edge, a lot more IT, what were traditionally IT-centric environments, there is an IT-OT team convergence happening. And this complexity within a hyper-distributed environment requires the three principles, which I like to say the three S's, simple, scalable, seamless. You brought up the seamless point, extremely important. So simplified routing, which you just mentioned, that's both data plane as well as control plane. So now yeah, you yeah, have yeah, the yeah. flexibility to use whether you want to use a common EVPN across all the way from the edge to the on traditional on-prem or connecting your multi-cloud assets or whether you want to use uh, underlying tra- uh, uh, underlying 
infrastructure, especially from a hardware point of view, that is merchant silicon based, that brings down this cost of management for the operations teams. All of this built with a highly automated, centralized policy kind of a framework that transcends all of these environments is where the infrastructure is going. And one of the blocks for that, from a data plane perspective, initially is the segment routing. Then you add the segment routing control plane block on top. And then, of course, the controller-centric architecture for the traffic engineering and so on. That's the key, simple, scalable, and seamless. And to the and to the point that Murli yeah. and you were talking about, Greg, you know, about yeah. about stitching, building a seamless networks, the, the beauty about segment routing is if you look at MPLS, it facilitates the brownfield deployments very nicely when you yeah. talk about yeah. stitching. You look at SRV6, um, it has functions embedded into it, and and uh, and those functions can get you uh, a, a to, to a point where you can very nicely stitch the technologies. And, and therefore, I, I think using a technology like SR becomes way, way interesting when we talk about mix of newer technologies. Like um, it can get you to that simple, uh, scalable, and a seamless architecture. Is there an issue with the underlying hardware with the ASICs, depending on whether I want to go with SR uh, MPLS or SRV6? Because my understanding initially with SRV6 was that because it was uh, a new header in the IPv6 field, that some ASICs may not have um, come up to that yet. So, are, are we where are we with ASICs and my my choice in hardware if I'm going V6? That's a great question, Drew. That that is a great question because in fact um, that was. Uh, uh, that was indeed a challenge in earlier generations. What Merchant Silicon Innovations over the past uh, couple of years has done is completely democratize uh, technologies that were the purview only of the traditional incumbents. Um, now, Merchant Silicon affords you the ability to build a simple network over IPv6 uh, using SRv6 or you can use your continue to run in a, if you have an IPMPLS, uh, environment, you can easily transition in a seamless manner using Merchant Silicon with SR MPLS. So you're absolutely right that Merchant Silicon has uh, improved or uh, the innovations in that segment of the market has, has been so profound that we now have a software-powered, a first principles-based software-powered uh, vendor like Arcus being able to benefit from that. Absolutely. Right. And by the way, another element, one minor element on that merchant silicon, we're also able to provide highly programmable infrastructure that is an especially important as you're dealing with so many edge sites, so much scale out as well as scale up at the same time. So you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. So I want to I want to pull this back a little bit and just say, I think I want to, this is a sponsored podcast and Arcus Networks is a company that makes a particular product. So let's just tell the audience where you sit with your products. Arcus has three products that I understand. Let's start. You've got Arcus OS, which is your network operating system. So this is where the segment routing actually runs, right? That's right. ArcOS is our network operating system. And um, that's just the foundational block that transcends across, as I said earlier, the traditional on-prem. Yeah, uh, multi-cloud as well as edge environments. Right. Uh, by by using the same software across all of these environments, across uh, smart servers, switches, routers, and all kinds of 
fixed and multi uh, multi fabric environments the, we have the ability to build on top of that a lot more horizontally auto scaling infrastructure with a control controller centric programmable um uh plane as okay, well yeah. on top of it yeah. now there's an important angle to arcos because as we were setting up for the show we were talking about supply chain problems and you were highlighting that the use of a uh, independent network operating system on whitebox might be a solution for lots of customers to ensure that they've got uh, able to complete their projects on time because they can go to any one of a nominated series of vendors with a suitable hardware platform and run one operating system on top that's exactly right that's exactly right because now you have the flexibility of choosing from a wider array of or uh, hardware vendors odm mm-hmm. vendors you have the ability to pick and choose the same kind of uh, form factor in terms of uh, the number of ports and so on that you might choose for a particular part of your network from different different kinds of odms the same chipset underneath or a different one it doesn't mm-hmm. matter so there's a lot more flexibility basically open networking essentially allows mm-hmm. and drives this massive flexibility and scale also yeah, I, and I guess I was just highlighting it because it's becoming apparent how deep the supply chain issues might become and that having hardware flexibility might be a path forward to guarantee that your projects can run on time. Uh, and then you also have the Arcus RR, which is the route reflector, which is your software that comes back to this BGP where I can actually use this to pr- use BGP as an API to configure the BGP in the network, right? Um, so, yeah, that is correct. Um, while we're talking about the RRs as well as the routers, I just wanted to make a quick note that not only can we support that with an API-level functionality, but um, we support the key networking building blocks on the routers as well when you look at Greg's 50 milliseconds mm. fast convergence or you know how do you reduce the state of tunnels and provide internet uh, route capability uh, of million routes or VPN route capabilities of over 2 million routes, right? All, right. all along with the APIs and the programmatic uh, interfaces. Yeah, the Arcus NOS, I mean, we've talked about this a couple of times on previous shows, and I encourage people to go and listen to those. The Arcus NOS is, 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 has all the features that you want. Like uh, I, when you go through the, the sheets and you look at the features and the density and the capability, it's a, you know, a world-class network operating system that's been around for five years now. It is, yes, yes. And one of the things we are doing um, very uh, consciously is also not overbloat the software, you talked about RSVPTE and other other key uh, legacy building blocks. We we do try and actively promote you know SRT like new functionality which is stateless, which helps mm. you scale from network perspective and really helps you transition your networks to 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 next generation networks. Right? Yeah. Just want to add one more point there um, mm-hmm. to your question, uh, to your underlying statement there. Absolutely, one of the key differentiators that Arcus has provided and continues to provide is, and it's been a philosophical as, uh, point as well, is we enable massive flexibility and scale of network services by mm-hmm. enabling any to any connectivity, whether you have traditional IPv4, v6, VXLAN. Now, SR, SR, SRMPLS, SRV6, yeah. any kind of connectivity on the back end as well, not just for greenfield or for siloed environments, but across all of brownfield as well in a software-defined scalable manner. And that's why your point about supply chain is so critical. 
when you're kind of in a place where we the industry is right now where with supply chain constraints if if you have to deal with that the only way to scale is by providing maximum flexibility in terms of options at all the underlying layers yeah so that raises a question that that comes to me when i'm thinking about wanting to program a path through the network i know with both flavors of sr or however many flavors there are i need an ingress node at least and an egress node that i'm controlling so where am i deploying arcus uh, or these white boxes or a virtual instance to make sure i can actually choose a path through the network if i can't control those sort of middle transit nodes Boy, if you ask Murli, Murli will say, you know, we are building uh, a virtualized distributed platform uh, in some sense out here where we support, you know, multiple types of platforms with, uh, all the way from one gig to 100 gigs and 400 gigs soon. But to your point, if we are in a brownfield network, typically um, the beauty with SR and particularly with V6, giving you one example, is that you um, the core is pretty much a native IPv6, so it doesn't have to be touched as long as at the ingress and egress point you do the right functionality and right uh, programming, I think you've got a network at place. Same happens with um, SRMPLS, right? So mm. as long as you have an insertion points that you can control in the network, I think you're good to go, and that's the beauty uh, mm-hmm. where you can effectively, in olden days, we used to call this as a BGP-free core, that uh, you it helps you create and what it does in turn is reduce a lot of state as well as uh, um, aids you uh, with uh, uh, minimal loss when the links go down yeah hmm. so you know for a more concrete example I'm thinking do, do I if I'm thinking about an edge deployment can I run uh, Arcus in a, a radio access network at the base of a cell tower, or do I have to go out to a CO, and or if I need to get traffic into a cloud edge, is, can I get uh, my egress and uh, ingress and egress points where I need them to go? Those deployments vary from um, networks to networks, but you can typically run Arcus at the point where you want to terminate your GTP traffic and and you want to start a you know, bringing that traffic back into your network, either using MPLS or advanced form of IP-based uh, forwarding fabrics that you may have built, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that mm. could be all the way closer to the cell tower, or it could be um, at a point where you are just sitting behind something like UPF, where you are terminating it. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think another thing we should just highlight is that Arcus is also used in data centers. You can actually build an IPCOS fabric. So you can actually extend Arcos, the operating system, as an edge data center or as a core data center as much as you can for a WAN router. That's right. And that ha- hmm. that's exactly right. And that's because of that flexibility of Arcos uh, and Arcos solutions in general hmm. to be able to um, be deployed over switching environments, virtualized environments, as well as routing environments. So it's that's the that's why when edge micro data centers start moving towards the edge and they want to keep those kind of underlying hardware constructs in a smaller setting or in a broader uh, in a broader scale out model, ArcOS is able to support it today. I'm having loads of fun. You you gave me an image here and you gave me an example of how segment routing simplifies and scales better. And there's this diagram that has hundreds of lines and dots and things on it, which is every discussion I've ever had about MPLS. I think the thing that I took away from how SR simplifies and scales, and we touched on this in the previous discussion, and we will move on into how it it works in a telco-centric solution, is that 
you've really got this situation where that direct programmability um, of the segment routing, like saying this is my path and telling the device where it is, it's a far simpler, more certain exercise than perhaps using LDP to distribute your labels and your policy. That is correct. And uh, one of one of the things, if you look at how particularly SRV6 simplifies it, is that you, you've taken an IPv6 address, which is available to you in billions and zillions, and uh, you have now broken that v6 address down into functions, network functions, then you have a range, and then you have what you call as akin to a label space, which what we call as a segment routing identifier. So see what has been done with a single IPv6 address is that you have broken it down, and it naturally becomes a network slice for you, right? And mm. so all the hard state disappears now uh, with all the soft state that you can start building using this construct. And in turn, you now reduce the net, uh, software load that resides on the routers as well because the RSVP um, or uh, LDP part of it completely disappears and you can do much more efficient programming and control over your network through the programming API interfaces. And by doing that, I just want to add one point there is that you have moved from the, the 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 earlier question Drew asked, which was about path differentiation being a struggle point. Now you can move from such a tunnel and state-heavy environment at every part of the network going back to the data centers or the or a multi-cloud environment to an environment that is completely or significantly mitigated of its state in the middle of the infrastructure and eliminates the need for expensive custom silicon at all points of that network. Their cost, uh, there's operating simplicity, cost savings, operating simplicity, and also agility, agility and elasticity that it brings to the infrastructure. That last point was very uh, crucial. I was going to reiterate that, is that um, now you can actually build provider networks with Merchant Silicon, you know, Merchant Silicon has always been stronger on IP side and and using IP-based techniques only uh, makes your network uh, more um, or rather helps you save a lot of cost in the network as you deploy these new technologies because with 5G, one of the things you're going to see is the networks are going to explode and you will need to control um, yeah. that curve in the spending, yeah? Yeah, that's the problem, not the problem, but the challenge that we're facing in a, in a non-specific way is that we're going to have so many, if you're a telco operating a 5G network, you're going to have, I think I did a calculation, it was something like 20 times as many towers to cover the same space because the new signals that they're using at 5 gigahertz only radiate for one quarter the distance of what we currently use today at 2.4, right? That and, is correct. Okay. That is correct. So, so you've got to have more towers just from that alone. Let's forget about the extra demand for bandwidth and more devices and all that, which is going to cause extra ones. And then outside of that, if you're a person who's building a network using the bandwidth that 5G gets you, so if you're using 5G as a last mile, and I think this is possibly the more interesting discussion, if I'm using 5G as a last mile as a uh, to replace my DIA or my MPLS hardline circuit and I'm starting to use 5G, the question becomes how do I stitch together the 5G network 
with the physical MPLS network that I have and the backbone network that I'm going to get from multiple providers and then turn it into a connectivity into my data center. Yeah, this is where SR and as particularly uh, the flavor of SRV6 becomes very, very interesting. You're going to see 10 gigs at rise when you do that and when you deploy the 5G um, last mile, as you said, the towers are going to um, explode and the back of those towers will probably be 10 gigs or mm-hmm. uh, 5 gigs that is naturally a 10 gig circuits and as you do that right um, how do you do that um, how do you provide stitching uh, we already talked about that and you know if you take an SRV6 the way the technology has been designed that has a lot of functions in networking functions so you can take a lot of these networking functions and help stitch the network Case in point, you take GTP coming in, make it an SRV6, or you can take even layer two frames and have an appropriate function there embedded in IPv6 address that sort of acts as um, identifier for an outer header that tells, hey, the outer header resembles function X, and that is why you are supposed to do A, B, and C uh, when you receive this packet and terminate the header. So it's a very sleek way of building that stitching um, um, at a very cost-effective pricing, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about the controller element because that seems like a key piece, and I don't think we've we've dug into it yet. Uh, yes, true. Uh, so essentially, what you get from from this kind of an approach um, is that you now have the ability to have a unified network services cloud platform that is, um, uh, of course, software defined that has a centralized policy model that builds upon infrastructure of which ArcOS is a key, but one element to to build a microservices-based end-to-end solution that can run over any kind of infrastructure. To do that, what is the benefit of of having a centralized controller model? Benefit is where in the past you had uh, verticalized solutions where you 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 had VPN services on one box and vertically integrated chassis. You had core and peering nodes having another set of boxes. You have edge platforms doing another set of services. Now you have an horizontal auto-scaling model that's built upon this this data plane and the control plane uh, innovations that we talked about already. And now you can build uh, your own custom services or build new sorts of VPN and peering and other kinds of service or traditional services as well on that in a horizontally auto-scale manner. Now, when you combine that with a deep visibility cluster, which ArcIQ, our our deep visibility and analytics platform provides, you can actually have end-to-end visibility in addition to that scale that we talked about. All of this is done in this uh, universal network services cloud platform that, that uh, that we offer. So that way, you can take care of the traffic engineering points you brought up, bring up mm-hmm. the visibility, uh, deep visibility, as well as build custom applications and services on top. Um, only one uh, one of the examples being the one that you talked about earlier of uh, of the mobile edge use case. One additional point that I like to uh, also talk about, true to, uh, to the question you asked, is uh, you know you're moving forward in the controller world, particularly on the routers and switches, your 
management interface or your programmatic API interface is going to be even more crucial because as the networks are going to be more driven by controllers, you will have to deal with a load. Let's say, how do you how do you handle it when you program, I want to say, about half a million prefixes at one shot. Um, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but um, how do you manage that? How do you manage uh, uh, the feedback loops? How do you sort of build a self-healing networks towards that point where the feedback loop is not only present, but is far more intelligent to give you um, deep visibility of what you have programmed and, 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 and how do you need to tune it? So essentially, as you look at some of these things, um, what it means from a software perspective is you can no longer treat uh, your... Uh, management interface or your programming interface as a second-class citizen. You have to think of them and tune them just like how you have been tuning the routing protocols or any control plane software on the router. That makes sense. I want to come back to the discussion around network functions virtualization, which is mostly talked about at the moment inside the 5G data center. So this is the, the idea that at the bottom of the 5G tower, there's a mini data center with hundreds of virtual machines, probably in containers and VMs, and you've got to steer all these conversations around and they've got to be micro-segmented for security and they're all IP. So I think that's obviously a viable use case for SRV6 and controller-driven networking in that case. But do you see the same idea for NFE used outside of that environment? So what about in a data center when you're doing multi-tenant architectures or you want a, a data center with many micro-segments in it? Or maybe you want to do a WAN that's got heavily micro-segmented. You want to have like 100 different applications each running in their own. Is that something I can achieve with this SR6 and SRV6? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, you can achieve it in 5G context and in normal data center deployments that uh, you've been talking about. Absolutely, you can. That's <laughs> that's that question sorted. Thanks, I'm glad. <laughs> no, no, I think I just was going to add one, one, one more point there is that you sure. know, even this... Uh, this might give the uh, SR and uh, SRV6, SRMPLS are not technologies that are only going to be limited to a telco or a mobile-centric environment. As you can see, the benefit of going in this direction is that you now have a simplified infrastructure that can service an enterprise edge, an industrial edge, like you st stated right at the start of the program. What that does is now, because of the flexibility of cost of the underlying infrastructure uh, being taken out of the equation, you can actually go in different directions, even potentially uh, building upon what SD-WAN provided in the first generation of move uh, away from the centralized uh, MPLS-centric world. Now you can go into an environment where it's not no more an either or, or either an MPLS or an IP environment. Now you can provide a seamless uh, network infrastructure that is controller-driven, that is software-powered, that can run as well, if not better, for enterprises as they would for telcos or CSPs as well. Because now you have the choice of running this over an IP infrastructure or an MPLS infrastructure using yeah. uh, the freedom, the moving away from custom silicon to merchant silicon, or like you just pointed out, even virtualized environments. As you know, um, yeah. SR is also supported in virtualized uh, in. Uh, environments as well. You can naturally think how SmartNICs would exploit this. Being an IP-focused uh, devices, 
they would exploit this all day long. So yes, it has applicability all over the place. So how would you contrast, you know, what I could get from SRV6 with where we see enterprises, like thinking enterprises in particular, where they're investing in SD-WAN? So uh, if you remember in the first generation of the SD-WAN, what are the argument made? What is the argument made? The argument was made that MPLS circuits from your service provider is very expensive. Why don't you move over the internet, which is IP-centric? What we are saying is, and then the MPLS environments would say, hey, that's over uh, IP. It's not as uh, protected for your business, secure, ABCD, and so on. People have built solutions on top of that for the SD-WAN-centric world. What we are saying is you don't need this false choice anymore. The reason why you ha- people moved away in addition to the multiple options you got with uh, by go trans. Uh, by going over an I, uh, the internet IP environment was because primarily the cost points that were involved were not justifying the use of the service provider solutions that were MPLS driven. Now, what we are saying is with Merchant Silicon offering the ability to do a lot of these uh, technologies like SR MPLS or SRV6, you don't have to make this false choice. So now you can actually go and build an SD VAN type solution, which is software powered and can transcend further than what the original branch office use case was to industrial, to fra- factory storefronts, to retail mm, yeah. retail environments, to a whole bunch of industrial autonomous uh, environments. You can now use uh, a player like Arcus to provide this seamlessly across all of these environments. And that is beyond the uh, notion of a service provider solution or a metro solution or beyond the notion of a SD-WAN 1.0 solution. So essentially, you are transcending all of those traditionals or, or even the mid middle uh, uh, siloed uh, solutions that we came up in the last five, six years. Well, we're starting to reach the end of our time. So I think what I want to do, Morali, is ask you, have we got some final topics that we need to hit before we roll out the door here? This has been great. Thank you so much, Greg. I want to just leave uh, the audience um, with a few key points. Arcus is the hyperscale networking software company that has been built from first principles, all of its solutions to address the emerging need of providing any service, anytime, anywhere across traditional uh, on-prem environments, connecting that to multi-cloud and edge infrastructure, providing solutions that span physical, virtual, and cloud environments with a very, very wide range of supply chain partnerships that enables diversifications for our customers. And it's deployed across a number of enterprise and provider environments across both uh, across IP, MPLS, um, and of course, now we're talking, as we said, SR environments, but more importantly, a software-defined, scalable, simple, scalable, seamless manner. Yeah. And like I said in the show today, it's been a, at at this particular time, as we're putting the show to air, uh, we're starting to face up to the supply chain constraints and everything that Morali just said applies to freeing you from hardware supply chains. That is, you can take any compatible white box unit and run this software on it. So it may be that if you are under a deadline to achieve a goal, you can't buy the units that you want. You can actually multi-supply the hardware but have the same software on the top, and that might be a feature that you want. 
Thank you so much to Arcus for joining us today. As I said in the opening, they have been a longtime sponsor and supporter of the podcast, for which we are very grateful, both to Kia Patel and Marali Gandalaru for joining us today and just going talking widely about a topic that we don't often get to talk about, segment routing and uh, how segment routing V6. If you want more information, just search for Arcus. That is A-R-R-C-U-S. You can find them on the internet really easily at that name, Arcus.com, A-R-R-C-U-S. And uh, if you want to find out more information, just make sure that when you talk to them, tell them that you heard about it on the Packet Pushes because they love hearing about where you came from. They tell me before. You can, of course, um, find more information in the show notes. There's some diagrams and some notes there that might be useful to you. But as always, thanks very much to Arcus for being a sponsor and making it possible for us to bring you this content. There are many more other fine free technical podcasts and our blog at packetpushes.net. Follow us on the social medias. It would really help us if you could say how great this was in your podcatcher. Helps us to find new audience and stay here doing this. And last but never ever least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.